following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in the Gospel of Luke. For more audio or information about our church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning and, and welcome to Stone Oak Bible Church. If you are new with us this morning, I just want to take a moment to welcome you. We are so glad that you are here. And listen, I mean this. If there is any way that we can help you, any way that we can serve you, please do not hesitate to ask. Uh, we would love to do that. So we're glad you are here. Um, listen, it, maybe you're new with us or maybe you've never taken advantage of this, but I want to encourage you this morning to take advantage uh, of a, a gift, all right? Uh, maybe you haven't yet, and, and it's time to do this. So we have a gift for you as a church, and there are no strings attached to this gift whatsoever. Uh, what, what, we, um, what our hope is, is to constantly provide things that we can put before you and that you can, can kind of come alongside of you in your, as you grow in your relationship with Christ. And so I want to give you the gift called Right Now Media. Uh, right now, media is is an online um, library of 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 videos and content for you. Over tens of thousands. Uh, think of it as kind of like the Netflix of of discipleship tools or or Christian content. Um, there are so many videos dedicated to to whether it be uh, Bible studies, book studies, topics. Uh, marriage, family, parenting, uh, missions. Uh, there's content specifically designed for women. There are content, there's content specifically designed for men, and there is phenomenal content for children. And, and I want to just make you aware of this because I hope that you're using it. I hope that you're using it. Even uh, so, oh, in the past couple weeks, my community group has even been using. Right now, media, as we've been watching, it is phenomenal. It's a great tool. Um, so here's what I want, to, I want to invite you to do. I want you to invite you to take advantage of it, and you can do that through two ways. One, you can do it all on your own. So if you go to our website at www.stoneoakbible.com, you will see a Right Now Media link. You can click on that link, and it will take you, and it will create your account right there. I do recommend that you go through our page to do that. Otherwise, you have to pay for it. So if you want to pay for it, you can, but if you want this as a gift, go through our page. You can do it right there, or if you would like for us to do this, this for you, um, all you have to do is on your, the card, uh, we have a couple back there by where we put our tithes and offerings, just fill that card out and indicate to us that you want Right Now Media. Now, it's important that you write clearly that we can tell what your name actually is and what your email actually is. But once you do that, we can take it from there and we can put this uh, together for you so that you can get that content. And right after you do that, um, it will, you can then start streaming it however you stream your content, whether it be phone, tablet, smart TV, whatever you do, computer, whatever you do, it'll be available for you there. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, again, our goal is that it'll strengthen you in your daily walk. And any tool that we can put in your hands that'll help you do that, it's a, it's a worthy tool. So take advantage of that. Um, now, I am really excited about this morning because we are launching together as a church into a brand new book, brand new series through the book of Luke. Now, we are doing something beyond this just being an exciting 
time to launch into a new book, we're, we're doing something we've never done as a church before, and that is we, are, we have put together a guide for you. Hopefully it's on your seat. If not, someone stole it. We have extras, though. You can find them around, or we have them back there on the table. Um, but these are our guides. Now, now here's what, what this is. Uh, the purpose of this is simple. And by the way, I apologize for the size of the font. It's intentional, though, because we didn't want it to be a massive pamphlet that you bring. We want it to fit in your Bible. So, you know, glasses might be required. But our hope is, is that you can toss this into your Bible, even into your pocket, bring it with you. Um, but here's what you're going to find. So you're going to find, as we get in, started into Luke, you're going to find some background material in Luke. Uh, beyond that, every day that we are, or every week, it's going to tell you where we're going to be at the weekend when we, when we teach this on the weekend in our weekend services. It's going to give you a small devotion, and it's also going to give you some questions that are geared to help you um, ask good questions and kind of dive deeper. Again, this is a tool that we want to put alongside of what you are currently doing. And, and our hope is, is that you can use this in your personal study. You can bring it to church with you. You can use it with your family. Um, even you can use it with your community group. If your community group is going through this, this is a great tool. Uh, alongside of that, you have room for, for, for notes. And we made those lines bigger so you don't have to write at the same font we typed. Okay? So that's important. But... Um, I want to encourage you, take advantage of these, take it home with you. Now listen, uh, if you need another copy, you can grab one. We have extras. However, I know some of you are digital people. You're like, don't give me small print. I don't want to carry around anything. Uh, if you go to our website, stoneoakbible.com guide, you can download a digital copy that you can take with you wherever you want to go. And you can zoom it in however big you want it zoomed. So how, how about that? So I encourage you, take, take, uh, take advantage of that. So as you can see in our first week, it kind of lays out where we're going to be, uh, week one. And so I, wanna, I want to uh, invite you, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in Luke 1. We're going to start right off the bat uh, this morning. And while you're getting there, I want to give you just a few fun facts about Luke. All right, so while you're finding your place in your Bibles... Let me give you just a few uh, fun facts. So first, Luke is not brief. Uh, not brief at all. In fact, he is he's very orderly. He is complex. He is, he is thorough, is a better word. But he is not brief. All right, this is the longest gospel. Let me get a little bit of perspective for you. So Mark, the book that comes before it, the gospel right before it, uh, in the original Greek is 60 pages. Okay, 60 pages with, with uh, 678 verses, while our man Luke, all right, our, our man Luke here is a whopping 96 pages with 1,151 verses, nearly doubling the size of Mark. So, so again, uh, Luke is not brief. He is, he is thorough. He is uh, robust. Secondly, Luke is the only gospel with a part two, with a sequel, uh, which is one of the reasons we chose Luke. But it's the only gospel that comes with a part two. So, so in Luke, uh, in the gospel of Luke, Luke tells us about the person, about the work of Jesus Christ. Then he follows that a few books later in your Bible with the book of Acts. Acts written by Luke, this time to, to tell us how the gospel of Jesus Christ is now spreading to the world, specifically through the church. 
And so it's kind of a part one, part two. In fact, both of these books, interestingly enough, is written to the same person, Theophilus. Written to the same person by the same guy, part one, part two. Um, I encourage you, as I said, in in your guide, there's going to be more background information. And I could geek out about this for hours. I know I'm not normal, though. So if you want to geek out with me and get to know some background information, I encourage you to take a look. There's quite a bit to to chew through there. But before we get into Luke 1, there's one other thing that I want to do to kind of set the stage, uh, to kind of set the context for us. So there's 400 years, 400 years that has passed since the, the last Old Testament prophet until the opening scene in Luke. We've said this before, but if you were to take your Bibles and open it to the book of Malachi, go to the last page, typically there's a blank white sheet of paper in your Bible that separates the Old Testament and the New Testament. That page represents about 400 years. And can I put before you 400 years of agonizing silence? All of history, all of the Bible had led up to this point, this crescendo, and then... Silence for 400 years. There were no more prophets. We don't read. We don't see any more prophets. We don't see any more words from God. We don't see any more signs. We don't see anything new for 400 years. And keep in mind, the crescendo led up to this. And then crickets. 400 years. 400 years of of crickets. And in our text today, here's the beauty of what we're going to be looking at. Luke is letting us in on when that silence is beginning to break. So you can't see it unless you know that, but there is joy in this text because silence is beginning to break. Silence is beginning to break. So with that in mind, I want to introduce you to the first two characters of our story this morning. The first is Zechariah. Zechariah is uh, an ordinary priest of his time. You'll see in in chapter 1. Uh, and just to give you perspective, um, there's approximately probably about 8,000 priests at one given time. So he's one of 8,000 in Palestine at this time. So he's, he's a priest. Um, we'll see later he's a faithful man, uh, but a priest. The second character is Elizabeth. Elizabeth is, is also born into a priestly family, and she is is Zechariah's wife. And Luke describes them both as righteous, blameless, walking before, before God. Um, now, again, this doesn't mean they were perfect, sinless, you know, human angels, all right? That, that's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is they lived their life by the law. They believed God. They, they had faith in God. And that God looked at them as, as righteous. So that's, that's our couple this morning. And everything was good. Except for one, one thing, and that is this couple were unable to have children. They were unable to, to have children. Um, this is something, in all honesty, that many of us can relate to. This is a problem that, that, that has carried on um, in our culture today. Uh, no matter what culture you're a part of, no matter who you are, um, It is painful and it is so difficult for a couple who is trying to have a kid who cannot. It's painful, it is 
It is a difficult thing to navigate. And the same was true in the case of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Only, let me put this before you, that there was an added level of complexity that we don't even see in our culture today. And that is in the ancient Hebrew culture, not only was it just, was it difficult and painful not to have kids, um, but in that culture, the woman was seen as disgraceful. Uh, she was, in her words, as we're going to see, it was her reproach. Some even saw it as punishment. This is a serious deal, and this was this couple who were faithful to God, who wore this weight, uh, which, by the way, church, can we just push the pause button here? It shows us that the lies of the enemy are alive and active just as they were then. Causing a woman who is faithful who is loved by God, who is chosen by God to feel, feel this guilt and sense of I don't matter because of something she cannot control. There's a term for that, and it's nonsense. It was nonsense then. It is nonsense now. It was a lie then, and it is a lie now, um, just as it is today. So this, this couple weren't able to have kids, and it says in our text that they are now advanced in years, and I, they have no idea what's about to happen to them. Absolutely no idea what is about to happen to this, to this couple. So let's look. Let's start in verse 8. In verse 8, now while he, that Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, as I said, just an ordinary priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So, so in this time, the priests were divided up into divisions and they were given uh, tasks that they were to carry out in service to God and service of the people. And, and during these shifts, what they would do is they would cast lots, figure out who's going to do what. Right, draw straws, however you want to do it, uh, to figure out who is going to to do what. And and this time the lots fell on Zechariah to do perform the incense to burn the incense in the temple. This would have been an enormous moment for Zechariah. An enormous moment for a priest, a faithful priest, that they would. Think of this, not every priest even had the opportunity to do this. Some would serve their whole life and never get to do this, and no priest could do it twice. This was a big moment for Zechariah. It fell on him. It's like winning the lottery. He's ready to go. This was a big, this was a big moment. He was able to serve God in the temple, worshiping with his priests on the very step of the Holy of Holies. This was a big moment um, for, for him. But as big as it was, it's about to get bigger. Let's look. Uh, verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And his response, as we're going to see, is exactly what you would have thought his response would be. Verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and a fear fell upon him. Uh, we're going to see in a moment who this angel actually was. But, but Zechariah is struck with fear, and it's in this moment where this angel now gives him a prophecy. Now, now, listen to this in verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. 
and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, or, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready. I love this, this sentence here. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's a big prophecy. That's a big moment. Let's dig in for, for a moment. First, the angel says your prayer was answered. Your prayer was answered. Uh, there were two prayers that were in view here. There's one that's a personal prayer, and there's one that's a, more of a collective, corporate prayer. Let's look at the first one, the personal prayer. Remember, this couple was advanced in years, as the text says. This is a politically correct way of saying baby-making is not happening for them at this time. They were advanced in years, and, and this couple had been longing for a baby their entire life. They've been, they've been praying, and now here, the angel says, your wife will bear a son, right? As amazing as that moment is, let's consider the second prayer that was answered here. Because um, I, I really believe that the, them having a kid is actually the smallest part of this prophecy coming true. Listen, think about this. We started out by saying there were 400 years of complete silence. 400 years, silence, 400 long years waiting for God to show up, waiting for the long-awaited Messiah, 400 years. Zechariah, along with the other priests in the temple, would have been leading the charge, praying, God, would you, would you come? Would you speak? Would you show up? Would you send your Messiah? Would you? They would be leading the charge in this, in this prayer to make all of this right again. And as, as a priest, Zechariah would certainly be in on that, leading the charge. And now listen to this prophe prophecy. Many will rejoice at his birth, and he will be great before the Lord. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't rush past that, by the way, because Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the saints, they weren't indwelled by the Spirit like we are today. In the Old Testament, um, God's Spirit filled his people for specific Purposes, giving them power for specific purposes. Let me say it like this. Prophets were filled with the Spirit. Prophets, and, but we haven't seen one of those in 400 years. He will turn the hearts of the children of Israel to God. Prophets did that. Now, he will go before him in the Spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. Follow me. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Church, that's the work of a prophet. So let me put this before you. Not only was the angel telling Zechariah, you're going to have a son, which that is amazing in and of itself, but he was saying, Zechariah, you're going to have a prophet. Your son is going to be a prophet, a long-awaited prophet. The world has been waiting for your son. He will be filled with the Spirit, and he will be a prophet. You will have a prophet. 400 years of silence is going to be broken through the voice of your son. That's a pretty special prophecy. Put yourself in Zechariah's shoes in this moment. That's a pretty special moment in time. 
And now let's look at what Zechariah's response was. He said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is, again, politically correct, advanced in years. Um, just a quick lesson here for us. How many times have you prayed for something? I mean, prayed for something. Not once, not twice, repeatedly, just prayed, prayed, prayed. God, would you show up? God, would you do this? God, would you do this? God, would you do this? Repeatedly, and yet you would be completely shocked if he actually answered it. Right? Just completely shocked. It would blow your mind if he actually does this. How many times do we pray prayers to God without having faith that he will actually hear and he will actually respond? Zechariah was praying, God, would you redeem your people? God, would you make good on what you promised? God, would you send a messenger, a prophet to declare your word? God, would you give me a son? And here, the angel says, Zechariah, God has heard your prayers, and he has answered you. And here's his response. Are you sure? Are you, are, you, are you sure? I mean, I'm old, and Elizabeth is a little bit past her prime. Don't tell her I said that, but she's a little bit past her prime. Are you sure? There was doubt, and we shouldn't judge, because how many times do we do that same thing, that same exact Thing. I look back on my life as I was kind of thinking about this, and I can think of distinct moments in my life where, where God showed up after prayer, and, and he just he shows up and he answered it. And my first response when, when God intervenes, I, I remember moments. It, it wasn't first, praise God, you're good. It wasn't, wow, look at what you've done. My first response is, how did that happen? Let me see if I can explain this. Well, maybe that person told that person, that person told that person. That's how it happened. I try to naturalize God's answer to my, to my prayers. I try to naturalize it. I try to explain it. Let me be clear. I am pretty good at spotting when the Lord's working in your life. Like, I see it clearly in other. I'm like, well, God did that. You should see that, obviously. Like, I'm pretty good at that. But when it comes to my own, it is, my own life, it's, it's harder. It's sometimes more difficult to see God answering your own prayers than it is to see him answering the prayers of others. So we read this story, and we're like, Zechariah, come on, dude. But it's harder when you're there in that moment, and God shows up. And that's what he's wrestling with. And here, Zechariah is in shock. He cannot believe what this angel is saying. How could his prayers have been answered? And now, verse 19. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. It's like, you can trust me. I speak for God. I was there when he spoke this. How's that for credentials? And so he lays out, you can trust me, Zechariah. You can trust me, verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So, because Zechariah did not believe, now... He's unable to speak. Silent. And if I'm smiling, it's because I think this is actually pretty funny. Uh, think about a time when you've had massively good news to tell someone, like game changer news, and you're ready to share it. You're ready to tell them. You're ready to pick up that phone, and there's no reception or something, and you're ready to tell them. Imagine at that moment you have this big news, life-changing news. And you can't talk. And you can't even explain why you can't talk. Do you know how frustrating that is? Like, I, I 
He couldn't speak until his son was born. And look at this, the people's response in 21. And the people were waiting for him, waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay, what's taking him so long? And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service ended, he, he just he went home, right? So this is funny because think of it like a big game of charades. So Zechariah comes out, he can't talk, and they're like, what is happening? And he starts acting it out, you know? Three words, go. Like, he starts acting it out without words, mute. Just, it, we should laugh at things like this. Um, not too much, because I, like I said, we're a lot like that, but, but we should laugh. Um, verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for, for five months, she kept herself hidden saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach. There it is again, among people. No, it wasn't among God, it was among people, to take away that reproach. God was moving, the silence was broken, and that, I'm going to push the fast forward button on our story, all right, uh, to verse 57. Let's look at this. I'm speeding through the whole pregnancy don't you wish you could do that in real life? We're just going to speed through this thing, and here we go, the moment. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard, what the Lord, uh, heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful scene. A mom who is, I'm sure, just be beyond herself, and in a, a community around her, just rejoicing in it. Now we get another fun scene. 59. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. Uh, and, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. Um, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives uh, is called by this name. And they made signs to the father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So this is a fun scene again, I think, because uh, name selection is not as free and fun as it, is, uh, as it is today. I mean, with Candace and I, we had like tons of options. We whittled them down. And by the time our, our, our sons were born, we knew their names. Like we knew them. We had, we had spent long time just finding the right name, right? It's a fun process. It wasn't like that for them back then back in this time. Uh, it, they didn't have baby book names, or baby name books, there you go, of just books with tons of choices, and they didn't have that back then. In fact, in that culture, children were always named after their family. Specifically, in most cases, their father. They were named after their, their father. So imagine the awkwardness of the people in the room who, who they, what's the name going to be? What's the family name? And Elizabeth says, John. <clears throat> uh, there's no one in your family named that, Elizabeth. And, and I, what I love is I like to think of everyone in the moment when Elizabeth is, you know, seeming crazy. Now they look to Zechariah and they're like, are you going to do something about this? They sign to Zechariah like, can you maybe come in and do something about this? This is a little strange. Keep in mind also, 
Although uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth knew that the angel said his name will be John, and they had probably dreamed of baby rooms with John painted on it, like they knew it was going to be John, the people did not. They didn't know that conversation at, at all. The people in the room were just awkward at this moment. And so they look at the dad and they say, Dad, are you going to let your wife do this? What, what's going to happen here? And so John's, or Zechariah's response in, in 63, and he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. John, by the way, literally means the Lord has given grace. Which, uh, how cool is that for a prophet to be named that after coming out of a long period of silence? It's just amazing. 64, and immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessed, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about uh, through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with them. What's your first response when God answers a prayer in your life? What's that first response when God shows up and, answer to prayer, and, and answers a prayer? For Zechariah here, when his mouth finally was opened, his tongue finally could move, he could finally speak, it was worship. It was worship. He blessed God. God had, had moved, and, and it became... I love this moment because it's the moment when the whole community got to see, hey, God's doing something here. It was God's work on display in this moment. I, I think back on a moment, it, it reminded me of this moment several years ago, several years ago at this point. Uh, there was a man in, in my church, and uh, he, was, he had a young family, and elementary age kids, great family, solid, solid, solid. And, and I'll never forget... Um, he was, he was diagnosed with cancer. And I'll never forget when, when you know, you hear that and, and cancer's not a death sentence. So I'm like, okay, let's kick it. Like, we got this. We're, we got this. But then the doctor, or he went on to tell me that the doctor said, no, he has very, very little time. Very little time left. We'll do what we can, but he has very little, little time. Um, talk about a moment that stops an entire family in their tracks. Was this, was, this, was this moment. They begin to pray for a miracle. Without a miracle, they knew he was going to die. He was going to die. Um, the weight of that realization made this next moment all that much more powerful. Uh, one day, he had a scheduled uh, surgery to remove some of the tumors, uh, some of the prominent ones. And I, I remember this scene, and in, in I was going to the hospital uh, more to just love on the family and to pray. Um, but he was going to have some of his, his tumors removed. And um, here's the strange thing is they weren't there. It, none of them. None of them. With no human ex explanation, he did not have cancer anymore. And I got to step into the waiting room I don't remember much of the details of this moment other than this moment. I stepped into the waiting room and I remember how that felt. When this family was just sitting under the realization of what had just taken place. I bring this up because there are two things that I felt. One is obviously an extreme amount of joy. 
They got to have their dad longer. You got to have your husband longer. Like that's beautiful and it was a joyous moment. Beyond that, though, there was a second feeling in this room. And this is the reason why I share this. There's a second feeling that you could almost taste in this room. And although we might not refer to this feeling as fear, let me put before you that it is. So there is this powerful awe and wonder and reverence that comes over everyone who experiences it when you see God's hand work. It's almost like you realize, whoa, this is big. This is big when you see God working, when everyone can see it. And I believe this is a similar feeling to the feeling that's described right here as fear. That this room feels, oh wait, God did this. Elizabeth, no offense, this was not you. This baby is a miracle. God did this. He's filled with the Spirit. What? And then all of a sudden it shifts. It's like they, now they believe. They're like, oh, now what's going to happen with this baby? What is this baby going to do? If God worked like this, what is this baby going to do? Could it be that God's plan is actually coming to pass? And it was such a weighty moment for everyone in that room that it says, our, our text says, that, that it spread, news spread all throughout the community, that they had just seen God work. They didn't know what it meant, but they knew God worked. We saw it. We saw it happen, and, it, and they, they went. This was just the beginning of what was going to start to unfold before their very eyes in the days and the years to come. And church, uh, this is just the beginning of what's going to unfold before our eyes in the chapters to come. This is just the beginning, but what a powerful beginning it was. I want us to think, as we close this morning, I want us to finish our time by thinking of two things. Two, two things. So every good story, every good book, every good movie, every good story, we're it has a character that we're able to relate to. Uh, when, you, when you watch a good movie, you put yourself in the shoes of that person. When you read a good story, you put yourself in the shoes of that character. And it, and it kind of colors your perspective of what's going on in the story. You, you relate to one of the characters. For me, when I read this story, I instantly related to Zachariah, and I thought about prayer, and I thought about faith, and I thought about all those things. All good things. Or maybe if you're a lady in the room, you thought Elizabeth. You relate to her, and again, it drives you to faith and in the power of prayer, all good things. We've talked about a lot of these things already. From their shoes, you have a certain vantage point where there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but I want to finish up this morning by challenging your perspective a little bit and asking you to put on someone else's shoes in this story. First, I want you to place yourselves in the shoes of the friends and the neighbors. Pretend like you're them in this story, and you put yourselves in their, in their shoes, in the family, or the family in the room. You just witness God working a miracle. Um, what I want to put before you is in so many ways we're very similar to these people. Very similar to these people. Think about it. God had, they knew God had done a work in the past. 
They had their scriptures, their Old Testament that told them. I mean, prophets were declaring that, that, that God had a plan and that he moved through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He knew that God had a plan. God was redeeming. God was going to send a Messiah. They knew these things. They had their scriptures. They knew it, yet it was silent. They knew that everything pointed them forward to the Messiah to come. And these people were sitting in the waiting room. They were waiting in the space between promise and fulfillment. They were in that waiting, that awkward waiting period where we know these things and we know the promise. We're we're waiting for the fulfillment. They were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Let me put before you that we are in a very similar place this morning. You are in a very similar place this morning. We know God has done a work. We have this. The, the Old, the New Testament, we know God has done a work that he's worked through the beginning of time till now that he, that he sent his son. And we know that the news, the good news spread and, and we know what we're called to do. We, we see God at work and we know that he has a grand and beautiful plan of redemption. We know it. We see it. We also know that it tells us he's coming again. He is coming again. We know this. We we know this. It's been promised to us that he is coming again. And just like the people in this story, we are in the waiting room. Waiting between that awkward space between promise and fulfillment. Promise and for us waiting on the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And these people in our story are getting a glimpse of God fulfilling the promise that they're waiting for. In 65, fear came in all of them. And they talked about it everywhere, right? In 66, they start questioning. When it starts to set in, they said, well, what then will this child be? And, and here's the question that I want us to take from putting ourselves in their shoes, in, in the people's shoes. I want us to ask this question. Do I believe God? Do I believe God? Do you believe God? Do you believe him while you're here in the waiting that he will do what he said he was going to do? And hear me, this is not a religious exercise. This is not a, a, a religious exercise here. This is a truth that, that, that inspired a whole community of people to go tell everyone about it. This is not, this is real life. Uh, do you believe God? Put yourselves in the shoes of the people who are waiting. 400 years, butter in complete silence, standing on a promise. Put yourself there. Do you believe God? Do you believe God's word? Do you believe that God is who he says he is? And do you believe he will do what he said he will do? Do you believe God? Secondly, I want you to put yourself in a different pair of shoes to finish up. I want you to put yourselves in the shoes of John. Now, in our story, he is a baby. But in our story, we know his purpose. Put yourself in the shoes of John. We're going to talk about this in in further chapters, okay? Um, There was a reason God sent John to this world. There's a reason he filled him. It was to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus Christ, to prepare the people, to call them to repentance, to call them to look to God. That was it, to, to look to the return or the coming of Jesus Christ. His mission was to prepare 
the way. That was his mission. Church, you share that mission. That just describes your mission. Your mission, your purpose is to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. To prepare your community. Let's get specific. Prepare your community for the return of Jesus Christ. To call them to repentance. To call them to look to God. And to call them to look forward to a moment that we stand on that says, He's coming back. He's coming back. We believe it. I know we're in the waiting. We believe it. And it's up to us to prepare our communities for that churches, we are going to see you or John. And here's the cool part, just side note here. John was filled with the Spirit, right, to accomplish that. Not only are we given the same mission, church, we're given the same Spirit. Listen to this, uh, Romans 8.11. You don't have to turn here. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal, mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. That's encouraging. One more. Uh, Let's look at some more words from Luke in the book of Acts. He's telling us the words of Jesus. He says, he, Acts 1, Jesus said to, to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Meaning, I know you're in the waiting, but it's not for you to know when that waiting is up. That's not for you to care about. I, That's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the when. It's that for you to know that I will. And listen to this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be empowered. Your mission is to prepare the way for Jesus Christ, and you have been empowered for that mission. You have been empowered for that mission. So is your community prepared? Is your neighborhood prepared? If you believe it, first question, do you believe it? If you believe it, now, are they prepared for it then? Because if you believe it, if you truly believe it, it puts you in a weird place because you can't ignore it. Is your community prepared? And how is your your preparation work going? So the first question was, do I believe in God, right? Do I believe that he's going to do what he said he's going to do? As we place ourselves in John's shoes, here's the question. Do they believe God? Do they believe God? Because if I believe it, then we have to ask ourselves, do they believe it? Because if we are to prepare the way, church, if we are to prepare the way, are they prepared? We don't know the when, we know that he will. We don't know the when, we know the will. This opens us up to some beautiful times ahead that we get to look at in this incredible book. I want us to end our time together uh, just a little bit differently. Uh, Zechariah, at the end of, his, at the end of this, this text, gives us a prophecy. Uh, he, he, he gives us a word, and in this text, he proclaims God's goodness. He, he sees the plan of God unfolding. He points us forward to Jesus, the promised one who is coming. Here's what I want to do. I want us to end our time together by reading that, by reading that together. So let me invite you. Would you stand with me? Now, as, as Sandra reads this text... Would you listen to this and and let it do a couple things in us? One, let it be a reminder of how good our God is. Let it be a reminder of how good his plan is. Let it 
point us forward to Jesus who came to the forgiveness of your sins to prepare a way for you to have a hope and a life and a future. And church, let it be a driving reminder that he will return. Even though we're in the waiting, we stand on the fact we know he will return. Listen to this church. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of their tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace.